Good morning, Access. My name is Jessica Lewis, and it has been my joy and privilege to serve as your worship leader for the past year. Though I have not had the opportunity to meet many of you in person, I cherish the connections that we've made online and through emails or social media, and I look forward to connecting in person very soon. Today, I'm going to be wrapping up our series on spiritual friendship. I've really enjoyed hearing these messages from our pastors, and I'm grateful that Pastor Ted extended this opportunity to me to be able to share with you all this morning. We've been moving through Ephesians 4, and today's text is taken from the final verse of that chapter. Let's read it together. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other in the Lord, as Christ and God forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your living word, which can speak so clearly to our hearts. Would you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you have for us today? Guide us along your paths and continue to form us in your image as we turn our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he is admonishing them to live a life worthy of the calling they have received, to put off the old self with its corrupt desires and to be made new, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In the last few weeks, our pastors have shared insights about the text and have encouraged us to the same holy way of life and spiritual friendship. Paraphrasing Ephesians 4, we have been taught to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully, in our anger not to sin, to make sure not to give the devil a foothold, to abandon unwholesome talk and stealing, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. As we come to the end of this chapter, the last admonition seems so comforting, so peaceful compared to the verses just above it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I confess when Pastor Ted invited me to look over the sermon series and the verses that went with potential topics, I quickly scanned the list and felt grateful to find verse 32. It seemed like an easier topic for my first sermon here at Access. I felt a bit nervous to talk about anger, stealing, grieving the Holy Spirit, rage, or brawling. I figured I could let the pastors do the heavy lifting, and I would take the sweetheart easy verse about kindness and compassion and forgiving. On a personal note, I'm a therapist, high on empathy and tender-hearted. My father used to describe me as sensitive, but somehow I don't think he meant that as a compliment. As I've gotten older and done personal work, I have come to value these traits. I love to be with people. I love to have dinner with friends and linger over the meal, laughing and sharing personal stories. When friends call with a need or a problem, 
I find that it is easy for me to want to quickly respond and offer some form of help if I am able. Kindness and compassion seem native to me, not a struggle. I love to sing songs of how God's kindness leads us to repentance, to recount the scripture where we learn that God is a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I like to think of myself as someone who is quick to offer forgiveness, quick to make peace, to not let the sun go down on my anger. Going one step further in self-awareness, I can recognize my own need for forgiveness and the hope that if I forgive someone else, I can also be forgiven. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a difficult text. I want my sins to be forgiven, so I had better forgive someone else. Perhaps what comes naturally is a desire for my own forgiveness, not necessarily to offer it. If we are really honest, what we might find is the type of forgiveness God is looking for goes beyond forgiving the person who took our parking spot or the person who cut in line in front of us. Those are fleeting, even impersonal situations. What is more challenging is when a loved one has wronged us or hurt someone we love, when a relationship has been disrupted, what does forgiveness look like then? Do we really want to go there? In spiritual friendship, it's not enough just to get rid of the outer stuff, the thorny or prickly parts of our personality or character that are outwardly visible. God goes right to the heart of the matter, to our inner thoughts and drives, and asks us to do something that can seem impossible, to forgive as God forgave us. The truth of the matter is this. Forgiveness feels like death. In his book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace, Miroslav Volf writes, why should we give a gift of forgiveness when every atom of our wounded bodies screams for justice or even revenge? Wolf learned this from his Christian parents who suffered many losses and injustices in communist Croatia. In this same book, he tells a story about an older brother he never knew. The five-year-old boy had slipped away from his caregiver, Wolf's beloved aunt, and had been trampled to death by a horse and wagon. It wasn't until 47 years after the incident that Wolf heard the whole story that the aunt had let the boy slip out, that she hadn't looked for him, and he was killed. Wolf's parents never spoke of the aunt's culpability in this, and Wolf grew up having a close relationship with this aunt, who was like a nanny to him. 
His father even extended forgiveness to the soldiers who were driving the wagon that trampled his son, refusing to press charges against them. Forgiveness might feel like we are laying down our rights, especially our right to be hurt when we've been offended. Forgiveness might feel like someone is getting away with something. Forgiveness might leave us vulnerable to being hurt again. Forgiveness might feel impossible. When we are facing something that feels impossible, we can turn to Jesus and ask for help. We can read the Bible and find inspiration for the tasks that feel overwhelming. We need Jesus to help us be like Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, the day the Christian church celebrates when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid down palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some texts refer to this as the triumphal entry. In reality, it was Jesus preparing to walk the road to the cross. The same people who cheered him may have been in the crowd crying, crucify him days later. As Jesus made the trip into Jerusalem that day, he knew what was ahead of him. In Luke 19.41, we read that as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He knew there was sin and betrayal and eventual death waiting for him. He knew all of this, and yet he went willingly, as Isaiah says, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Later that week, he would describe what was to come, and the disciples were aghast. No, no, they said, this cannot be. Peter was told by Jesus that he would deny Jesus three times, and he said, no, no, Lord, I would never do that. I will die with you, Peter said. The 12 disciples, Jesus' best friends, lived and traveled together for three years. And yet, by the end of their last meal together, one disciple prepared to actively betray Jesus with a kiss on his face. And when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, all the disciples deserted him and fled. A few verses later, we read the account of the way Jesus was treated by the religious leaders and soldiers. They spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, 
they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And yet in the midst of this mockery, in spite of the violence done to him, in Jesus's last moments, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Even as he was dying, the soldiers and rulers continued to mock him. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and had the audacity to say to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in one of his last breaths, Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In his last statements before he died, Jesus was forgiving the very people who were hurling insults and performing violent acts towards him. This day in Jesus's life we know is Good Friday. Next week, we'll have an art exhibit on display in our worship space at Stebbins. The Stations of the Cross are historical depictions of the events leading up to and immediately following Jesus's death on the cross. The 14 bronze sculptures by Gibbs Singleton have been featured in museums and cathedrals, and our signups are still open for you guys to come and participate in this contemplative exhibit for prayer and reflection. In Jesus's death on the cross, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, fully reconciled to God, and the ability to be reconciled to each other when we participate in this type of spiritual friendship. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus showed us by his very life and death what it means to be a spiritual friend. Of all that Jesus endured, I wonder what it was like for him that his dearest friends ran away in his hour of need. That Peter denied him three times. And yet after the resurrection, we know that he appeared to these disciples and some of his first words to them were, peace be with you. Jesus and Peter also reconciled, and Peter went on to become the rock on which the church was built. The message of spiritual friendship goes beyond a focus on our personal righteousness, our individual relationships with God. In spiritual friendship, we are working out these issues in the context of living in community. Forgiveness opens up the potential for reconciled relationships. We can live in unity and love with one another as we participate in life together in the kingdom. Colossians 3 offers us an expanded view of our Ephesians text. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's take a few quiet moments to contemplate what God may be speaking to us. What is the Holy Spirit prompting in you this morning? Let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.